Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. I'm going to walk down there and I'm going to grab my Bible, but uh, you know the first things, uh, the first few words that are coming, going to come out of my mouth, and they are, Turn to the book of Mark. I say turn to the book of Mark, and I've been saying turn to the book of Mark for quite a few weeks, in fact, quite a few months, because we have slowly been going through the gospel of Mark. We've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we have been spending time for this year in the Gospel of Mark, and we are getting close to concluding. I'm thinking that by the end of July, we should be finishing up the book of Mark. And you're saying, well, there's still a lot to go. Well, if you remember at Easter time, we did a good chunk of chapter 15. So we will uh, finish with chapter 16. Uh, toward the end of July here. We are in the book of Mark chapter 14 and we are going to be looking at verses 43 to 52 this morning. And if you have a bulletin, you can look on the back side of that and uh, there's an opportunity for you to take some notes if you so choose. The title of the message is right out of my Bible. The phrase over those verses, it says, Jesus is arrested. This account is in Mark chapter 14, but it's also in the other Gospels, Matthew chapter 26, Luke chapter 22, and John chapter 18. And so if you look at all four of those Gospels, you'll get a bigger picture. We're not going to look at all four, but we're going to look mainly at Mark chapter 14. On that bulletin on the back side, it says the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead, and we know that because all the way back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that's exactly what it says, that the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. Judas gave them that opportunity during Passover. We are still in Passover week. We've been in Passover week for a number of months here. We are still in Passover week. And Judas gave them that opportunity to arrest Jesus during Passover week. However, I think we've got to always remember that these Jesus haters are step by step fulfilling the exact plan of God. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at the players as this drama in the garden unfolds. And this morning we are going to look at five of those players or actors, if you will, in the garden of Gethsemane. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 14 and verse 43, this is what it says, just as he was speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, which means teacher, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. 
Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then I have a red letter Bible, and so the next things are words of Jesus. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And then a very interesting side note. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Very interesting, they say. Uh, That is the reading of God's word, and we will look at that this morning. If you're taking notes, the first actor in our play in the garden is Judas the betrayer. Judas the betrayer. How could someone spend three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the presence of Jesus Christ and do what Judas did? I mean, how, seriously, I mean, how could somebody spend all that time with Jesus and then become the betrayer? Well, the easy answer is sin. I mean, we are all sinners and we are all separated from God. The easy answer is sin. But we also know that Judas had a a proclivity toward, you know, just kind of separating himself a little bit. He also had a problem with money, we were told. And so the concept of Jesus being betrayed kind of made sense to him because he was going to get some money to do it. And we also know that on top of that, Satan entered Judas as he left the upper room. We've talked about that before. So when he left the upper room, he went to the religious leaders and told them where they would find Jesus. And just to make sure Jesus might not escape in the night... Judas Judas offers to identify him with a kiss. That's how he would show the religious leaders who, you know, it was dark and there wasn't much light out there and the people probably dressed similarly. And so Judas says, I will identify him with a kiss. And it is interesting in John chapter 18, it says Judas knew where Jesus would be Jesus spent a lot of time in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he went to spend time alone, especially. And so Judas knew that he would be there. And so he leads the crowd to the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane. So the first person in the play, in the drama, is Judas the Betrayer. The next group is the armed crowd. The armed crowd. In our Bible, it says that these people that went there were sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Those are the religious leaders of the Israelites, and they are called the Sanhedrin. You've probably heard that name before. They are called the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of that time, made up of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They are the ones that want Jesus dead. Their jealousy of Jesus was amplified during this Passover week because of his popularity. I remember at uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and thousands and thousands of people are worshiping him. So the 
Sanhedrin are jealous of his popularity. If you remember on Tuesday of the Passion Week, Jesus comes into the temple and wrecks havoc in there because they are using the temple not as a holy place, but as a place to make money. So because of his popularity, because of his tirade in the temple, and because he's doing things that they cannot do, all of these miracles, and they is, they, uh, he is saying things that they cannot say, his message. They want him dead. And Judas provided that opportunity. And this is not just 10 or 12 people coming out to the garden. This is a very large crowd that found Jesus. John's gospel includes what is called a detachment of Roman soldiers. A detachment of Roman soldiers is up to 600 soldiers. They were the ones with the swords. So it says, with him was a crowd armed with swords. The detachment of soldiers up to 600 were the ones with the swords, and these soldiers knew about insurrections. They knew about people causing trouble. The Israelites were in Rome. Rome was trying to squelch the Israelites, and while they were in Jerusalem, a lot of them would spring up and try to cause insurrections. A few days, possibly weeks earlier, they had to squelch an insurrection led by... Barabbas. So they know about these insurrections and they know that they are going out to the garden and there is going to be probably uh, some, some rough and tumble times out there. And these soldiers were accompanied by what are, would, would have been the temple police and they did not have lethal weapons so they were the ones with the clubs. So with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs and, of course, they were bringing torches and lanterns because it was night. And then there were probably just a host of others who were violent people. I mean, we saw that in some of the riots downtown. Uh, a lot of the people were there for uh, peace and tranquility. And there were a lot of people there that just wanted to provide violence. So that was the group of people. That was the armed crowd that went out that evening to arrest Jesus. And here's the, here's the scoop with this, and I said it in the introduction, just as God had planned. Just as God had planned. The next person in the uh, drama is Peter the Protector. Peter the Protector. We hear about this guy... Uh, in verse 47, it says, the one of the, Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, we, I told you as we began the book of Mark, Peter is assisting Mark in writing the book of Mark. All right, I told you that early on. Peter is the guy here that is the protector. It's funny that Peter is not mentioned as the guy in Mark. As Peter's telling the story uh, to Mark, uh, he, he, he says, you know, that guy was me. But don't put my name in there. All right? uh, I'd rather you not put my name in there. But the funny thing is, is that John, the book of John, says that it's Peter. All right? You also remember the book of John also 
Remember we talked about this at Easter. John mentions that when Peter and John were running to the tomb, remember? John mentions that he outran Peter. All right? So I think it's interesting that John includes the name here. Peter does, probably doesn't want Mark to put that in there. But for all history, we know that Peter is the protector. And John 18 gives the name. And also in John 18, when they come, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And in John chapter 18, Jesus says, I am he. I am he. And in John chapter 18, after Jesus says, I am he, the crowds, it says, drew back and fell on the ground. Now that's not recorded in the book of Mark, but that's recorded in John. And so that power that came out of Jesus when he said, I am, am he, may have prompted Peter to start this fight. Because he says, hey, if Jesus can do that with just his words, even though we're 11, 12 with Jesus, 600, 800 people, we, we, we've got a pretty good chance here. And so, so Peter draws a sword. It's either his own sword or the sword of a soldier. And he grabs this sword and he starts swinging. Now, I can guarantee you that Peter was not aiming for that guy's ear. Okay? He was not aiming for that guy's ear. Peter's a fisherman, so he's probably not very talented with the sword. And as he starts swinging, it says here that he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. All right, so it was, it was close, but no cigar other than uh, it got his ear. John chapter 18, verse 10, identifies the man that gets his ear cut off as Malchus. And Luke chapter 22, verse 51, says that Jesus heals the man. So Peter chops off his ear, his ear falls to the ground, and Jesus picks up his ear and puts it back on like nothing had ever happened. That's pretty wild. And then Jesus scolds Peter and says, no more of this, stop, stop, stop. That's not how we are going to do this as the other Gospels record. But I'll tell you what, Satan would have loved a bloodbath in the garden. Jesus and his disciples dying there or chaos going on and everybody starts running. Satan would have loved that because he doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he understands that the cross is the plan. All the way from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the cross has been the plan and Satan would have loved for there to have been a bloodbath in the garden and his disciples die there along with Jesus or they all flee. That's what Satan was hoping for, but again, God had a different plan. And so we're going to look at the fourth person in the story, Jesus the peacemaker. Jesus the peacemaker. All of this possible chaotic scene Jesus says, and he asks a question, you know, basically, am I leading? A, and so he tells Peter, slow down, slow down. 
Jesus displays amazing calm and asks a reasonable question here. He says, hey, am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day, in fact, this whole past week, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, remember? And you did not arrest me then. But then he says this important phrase, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. You could have arrested me. I was in the temple. I was around all week. But God's timing is perfect and Scripture must be fulfilled. And so basically what Jesus is saying to them is, in your anger and hostility, I'll come peacefully so all of this will be perfectly timed so that at 3 p.m. this afternoon, when the sacrificial lambs are being slain for Passover, I will die on the cross, representing the once-for-all sacrifice and God's plan of redemption will be complete. I mean, basically, that's what Jesus is saying, and I'll read that again. In your anger and hostility, I'll come peacefully, so all of this will be perfectly timed so that at 3 p.m., when the sacrificial lambs are being slain for Passover, I will die on the cross representing the once-for-all sacrifice and God's plan of redemption will be complete. But then you will notice, and we've talked a little bit about this, and Peter was at the point of saying, no way is this going to happen, but verse 50 says, then everyone, everyone deserted him and fled. Even Peter. Wasn't maybe an hour earlier, maybe a little bit more than that, that Peter was saying, Not me, man, not me. I'm not going to leave. In fact, I'll go to the very end with you. And in verse 50, after the commotion, it says, Everyone deserted him and fled. Well, that's again according to what Scripture says. Zechariah, Old Testament book, chapter 13, verse 7, said it would happen like this. That verse says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so remember last week when Jesus was saying to them while they were in the garden, hey guys, you're going to get tempted, so you better pray. You better keep praying. You better keep praying. You better keep praying. Jesus went out and prayed and prayed and prayed three times. Every time he came back, what did he find the disciples doing? Sleeping. They were sleeping. And Jesus was saying to them, Don't sleep! This is the time for you to pray against temptation. But guess what? They slept, and according to Scripture, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. And everyone deserted him and fled. And then, this really weird thing, only in the book of Mark, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. One last player in the drama of the garden, this young man, no name, wearing this linen sheet, some thought possibly a sleeping sheet. It's what they used to sleep with. Uh, although the Bible says a garment... And in the commotion, the soldiers grab him and he frees himself and fled the garden naked. 
I mean, really, super strange addition to our text here. Super strange addition. As I said, it's only in Mark. And lots of theories about who this guy is. Well, first of all, we don't know because the Bible doesn't give us any indication of who this guy is. But most people think, do you know? Most people think it's Mark. Most people think it is a young Mark and he lives near the garden and he hears this commotion. He lives with his mother Mary. He's going to become prominent in the book of Acts, Mark, with his mom Mary, not, not Jesus' mom, but another Mary. He knows about Jesus. He's in the garden in his home. He hears the commotion. He's in bed and he sneaks out and he comes into the garden with only this sheet on wondering what's going on and he gets himself into the mix and uh, the guards grab him. He leaves the sheet and he flees the garden naked. Who wants to say it's Mark? Well, okay, good. Good for you because actually we don't know. But that's a good theory. It could be. It could be. And since Mark is the author, he throws that, I, that, that, that concept in here. But I think what is greater than who the guy is, is this thought. We don't know who he is. The only thing we do know is now Jesus is completely alone. Even this stray guy who was hanging around flees. And he flees, leaving his linen sheet and uh, runs away naked. Jesus, the Lamb of God will suffer alone. Jesus, the Lamb of God, will suffer alone without the presence of God the Father or the company of His friends. Jesus will go to trial alone. Jesus will die on the old rugged cross alone. There's only one thing that Jesus brings with Him to the cross and you know what that is? Your sins and mine. That's the only thing that Jesus brings to the cross when He went there, is your sins and mine. In the garden, Jesus is alone. At the trials, Jesus is alone. As Jesus takes His cross to Golgotha, He is alone. And on that hill, although some spectators are there, Jesus is alone. To conclude our message, I got a, a, a good news and a bad news Bible verse, and I'll give you the bad news first. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was a representation of all of us, when Adam and Eve sinned, that communion that Adam and he, Eve had with God was cut. And all through the Old Testament, the law was trying to tie that relationship back. And of course, in the book of Hebrews, when we studied it, the law couldn't. It couldn't tie that relationship back. It could put a band-aid on it, but it really couldn't tie it back. And when Jesus came, well, that was God's plan to tie that with the cross. 
And so that relationship was tied back together. And so the bad news is the wages of sin is death. If you're a sinner, which the Bible says all of us are, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if you are a sinner, then the wage, the payment of that sin is death. But here's the good news. The wages of sin is death, but the good news is that you have Jesus and He's the gift of God through a cross. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Jesus Christ through the cross. And so in the garden, Jesus is all alone, but at the bottom of your bulletin it says, in life, thankfully, we are not. Jesus said, I will never ever leave you or forsake you. If you are my child, I will always be your father. If you're not my child, then you need to become my child, and you do that by asking Jesus to come into your life and into your heart. On the inside of your bulletin, we always put this here. How do I become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? That's what our church is all about. Becoming Christian and then growing in our faith. How do I become a Christian? And there's a way inside your bulletin to take a look at that. If you're not a believer, the Bible says, hey, today is the day of salvation. And you can invite Jesus into your heart right now, just while you're seated. Or you can invite Jesus in your heart this week. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So those are the actors in the garden, and we will continue in the book of Mark next week. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, that is your word, and those are the people in your word. And all of those people have a significant responsibility. And we've talked about those responsibilities. But Lord, you've also given a responsibility to us, uh, to us, and that is to ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. You've shown the way, but the Bible says we need to take that first step. And so, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day of salvation. The day, today would be the day that we would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. The wages of sin is death. I don't want to receive that death and eternal punishment. I want to invite Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior so that I can be spared from that death and so that I can receive abundant and eternal life. I turn from my sins and I say yes to Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Listen to the words of these, this song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best, that's Jesus, the dearest and best, for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that's the gospel message. May we love the gospel message, may we live the gospel message, and may we share the gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
Minatrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minatrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minatristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.